Greetings to you, my friends. I am so glad that each of you are present to this moment, and I'm excited that we get to lean in together and worship Jesus. Uh, over the past month, we've been in a rhythm of pausing here in our opening moment and reflecting upon a practice that connects to body, mind, spirit, or community. And today I wanna to invite us into a practice for our mind. Very simply, I wanna invite us into the discipline of spiritual reading and to find a resource or two to, to maybe find an author who will help you grow and stretch your awareness or understanding of a particular topic or maybe a particular passage of scripture. Now, of course, our focus upon reading the scripture should always be the priority, but I have found such value in finding good resources to, to just kind of pour into alongside the scriptures for growth and understanding. Now, I wanna get really practical here for a second because I understand that reading is not everyone's favorite thing. And so maybe some of you could look into maybe audiobooks, uh, allow someone else to do the reading for you while you listen on a commute or during a workout. Maybe some of you just aren't strong readers. That just hasn't been something that's been great for you. And so I wanna just encourage you, give yourself permission to take it slow, to maybe set a, a baby step goal of like reading a page or two a day to develop this practice of spiritual reading in your life. In terms of authors, I wanted to recommend a few writers and really a few books that have been deeply impactful for the Heritage team. Brenda Salter McNeil has written a book called Roadmap to Reconciliation 2.0. Rich Velotis has written a book called The Deeply Formed Life, and N.T. Wright, who has written a ton of stuff, but, but I would recommend Surprised by Hope. In fact, to begin to help turn our attention to the worship moment in front of us as we kind of launch into a brand new teaching series about the church, I want to use a statement written by N.T. Wright to serve as sort of a, a call to worship for us today. So listen to this statement. And to write, he, he states this, Christ's resurrection doesn't mean escaping from the world. It means mission to the world based on Jesus's lordship over the world. And I think this is such a helpful reminder. As Pastor Beth mentioned last week, retreat is a strategy, but it's only a temporary strategy so that we can regather our resources and push forward with the important task Jesus has given to us that our faith in Christ is not about escapism. Rather, we are called to go out into this world, into our communities, into our neighborhoods, that we can help point people to Jesus and to help awaken the image of God in each person that we encounter. So as we get ready to worship together, let's remember that as we gather in this way together, we are gathering to be strengthened and empowered so that we can then go on and, and kind of get on with the task of being scattered across our community as great representatives of Jesus to everyone we encounter. So I want to invite you to, to into the worship moment right now and let's sing together.
your hidden glory in creation. Now revealed in you our Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing comes this. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. You didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you
every week we pause for a moment to pray together, where we gather as one church across the region to connect with God, others, and our purpose in this kind of special moment. And where we're reminded that we're connected not only to Heritage Church, but to the Church of Jesus Christ around the world. As we do that, there are some of us who may feel like maybe we need somebody to pray for us who has a special line to God, who can connect with Him uniquely. But the reality is that Jesus has made a way for any of us, wherever we are, to pray and bring our petitions before God, trusting that He hears us and He acts upon them. In fact, in a scripture in the book of Isaiah, we read that God has promised a fulfillment in Jesus of this. It's before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. I love this reminder that God wants to hear from us and he is inclined to answer us. So in these next moments, I invite you to identify one or two things where you have been waiting and hoping, where you've been wanting God to move on your behalf, and be bold enough to lay them before him, maybe even asking him out loud to, to move and work in a way, in a space where you need healing or provision or need him to work in a relationship. I'm going to give you just a moment to do that right now, to ask him to move in that space, and then I'll pray for us as we press into a time of teaching. All right, now let's pray together. God, we love you. We're so thankful for who you are. It's with confidence that we ask these things of you, knowing that you hear and trusting that you are moving even now in answer. Show us what it is to trust you all the more, to go wherever you would. Have your way in and through us, we ask. In Jesus' name. Hey friends, I am so glad you're connecting in this space today as we start a conversation about what it means to be the church. The church is not about a building or a place, but a people. A people who are called out for a purpose beyond themselves. In fact, the word for church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which simply means called out ones. And it speaks to and highlights the reality that we are set apart for God's purposes. We find that word ecclesia in the book of Matthew and begins to frame the idea of what the church is. And although the word ecclesia is not found in the other three gospels, it is in concept woven through them and permeates the entire New Testament. 
And every time the Bible speaks to the idea of the ecclesia, there is an opportunity for us to understand a reality that applies to us individually and corporately as a called out people. So we're setting aside time to understand what all that means. And I'm excited to be able to have this conversation because it helps us understand this life. And I'm looking forward to the journey. Yet in order to do that, we're going to need to provide a little bit of context for where the ecclesia, the church, fits into the greater story that God's been writing. We're gonna to need to understand a little bit of what was, what is, and what is to come. If we don't understand those three dynamics, we can struggle to make sense of what we experience and do in life, the significance of those things. We need all three, an awareness of what was and is and is to come, to be able to make sense of what we're doing, what we're experiencing. It actually reminds me of the story of some city workers, two gentlemen who are diligently working up one side of the road and down the other side of the road, digging a hole and then filling the hole back in. Repeatedly digging and then filling. One guy would dig the hole, one guy would fill the hole. And they were working hard, taking no breaks. Their work ethic was admirable. And one of the passerbys saw how hard they were working, but began to wonder what exactly they were doing. It just didn't make sense to them. So he approached the workers and said, gentlemen, I really appreciate the hard work you're doing. You're clearly putting in a lot of effort, but I don't understand why one of you is digging a hole and the other one is just filling it in. And the gentleman who had been filling the hole paused for a moment. He leaned on his shovel. He wiped his brow and he said, well, I suppose it probably does look a little weird, doesn't make much sense because we're normally a three-man crew. But the man who plants the trees called off sick today. In a dynamic of a three-man team of digging, planting, and filling, missing even one part causes a dynamic to make no sense. It's confusing, and the significance, the importance of it wanes. They needed all three on their team to pull off their job. And in a similar way, we need to understand all three of what was, what is, and is to come to be able to understand the significance and to make sense of what we experience and what we do in this life according to God's purposes and his plan understanding the ecclesia, the church. Now, I realize that there are a lot of people that have a lot of opinions about what church is for, what it should do, how it works, what, what it should and shouldn't be engaging in. And, and I get it. I, I have my own preferences and opinions as well. However, it's more important to highlight the priorities and preferences of God than our own priorities and preferences. I mean, the deal is, things of faith and Jesus and church Quite honestly, they're his things. So he's the one who, be, who should be setting priority, and we should be following his preferences. So in this conversation about understanding what it is to be the church then and now, we want to lay hold of him. We want to understand his priorities as they fit in the greater context of his purposes. And in order to do that, we need to have a bigger picture understanding. We need to understand the greater narrative that God has been writing through time and space because it helps us understand what was, what is, and is to come, and how we live in the context of that larger narrative. And the beautiful, wonderful thing is we have access to what was, and is, and is to come through the Bible. The Bible tells us what was, and is, and is to come. It's the digging, planting, and filling dynamic of living in this life. Things don't make sense if we don't have each of those. We can actually struggle to put it all together without all three. And the Bible, though, then helps us tell and understand God's story of what he's done, what he is doing, and what he's going to do next, and how we are a key part of that. Now, I want to make a disclaimer that I'm working today under the premise that the Bible is the inspired word of God. 
And if you struggle to believe that or you're not sure about that, that's okay. I respect it. But I just want you to lean in with me today because this is not intended to be a defense of the Bible, but an opportunity to pull out a description, a definition, if you will, of why the church exists in the first place and how it's supposed to function. You may want to challenge the validity of Scripture, maybe even put the Bible on trial, but the reality is we need facts to put something on trial, and nobody can do it without the facts. So let me give you some facts. Let me give you some facts and allow you to make a decision about what you're going to do with what the Bible says we're to be doing and who the Bible says we are, who the Bible says you are. See, God actually does speak to us. He speaks through the Spirit. He speaks through creation. He speaks through other people. But he also speaks through this. It's living. It's active. And we need it to understand and make sense of life. And I encourage you to read the Bible, to read whatever translation makes sense to you and works for you. It can be electronic version or a hard copy like this one. It really doesn't matter. Just make it a priority to read the Scripture. It's incredibly important. However, understand that whenever we study Scripture, it's not to know this, but to know Him. There's a theologian named Oswald Chambers who says this pretty well. He says, we're not asked to believe the Bible, but to believe the one whom the Bible reveals. That's really good push and good clarity because the Bible tells us about God, but also tells us about us, and that's great. But in order to to know what to do with that. We're not just laying hold of information. We're not just seeking to know about God. We're seeking to lay hold of Him, to know Him. And we actually can, which is wonderful. It's extraordinary. It's spectacular. We can know Him. And we study Scripture, not to know this, but to know Him whom it reveals. So let's get to this today. And I want to jump right in. And I'm just going to caveat. This is going to be a bit academic. It's Informational, a lot of information, but it's all designed to help us live into the transformation that we can have in Jesus Christ. So let's head to the easel for just a moment. It's important to understand that the Bible is essentially divided into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Testament, that word just comes from a Greek word, diatheke, which means contract or covenant or compact. So we're really speaking about an old contract and a new contract. Uh, the word diatheke is a word that Jesus used in Luke 22 when he said, uh, this, is, this cup is poured out for you in the new covenant in my blood. And he, he just established the new covenant when he did that. And it's something we remember when we partake of communion. It's his life, his death, and his resurrection. So there is an old contract and a new contract. They are represented comprehensively in the whole Bible with 66 books. There's 66 different books in the Bible. 39 of those are in the Old Testament and 27 are in the New. And even though these 66 books were written by 40 different authors over 1,600 years, there's still one unified account that all focuses on Jesus. It focuses on who He is. And if you're not someone who reads the Bible, but you're willing to give it a try, I'd love to encourage you to start by reading just six of these 66 books to read Genesis and Exodus, to then read Luke and Acts, followed by 1 Peter and Revelation. If you're willing to do that, that'll give you some, a broad swath and some good handholds for understanding this grand narrative. And quite honestly, reading the Bible is important and just encourage you to go to the next level wherever you're at. 
If you don't know the names of the 66 books of the Bible, go ahead and memorize them because knowing them helps us navigate and find our way around the Bible. If you already know those 66 books, memorize some key scriptures contained within them because that will not only help you find your way in the Bible, but find your way in life. And listen, I realize for some, some of you know this information and some of you don't. And if you're someone who this information is really familiar for you, then look at the, this opportunity to go deeper in your ability to guide, direct, and, and train other people in this awareness and this information. If you're somewhat familiar, then this is just an opportunity to be challenged to yourself to go deeper, to go a little bit further. But if this is new information for you, well, this is an opportunity to unlock a whole new perspective, a whole new understanding of God's story and how we fit into it. You know, the reality is that what I want to share with you today isn't I didn't, even, I didn't come up with this. This is not my stuff. This is actually God's stuff. It's his story. It's his narrative. It's what he's doing. And the specific explanation that I want to provide today, I learned from a friend of mine named Kevin Myers, who leads a great church in the Atlanta area. And when I first heard him talk about the scriptures this way, it brought clarity and focus to the scriptures. It allowed me to connect some pieces of the narrative I didn't quite see the significance for and allowed me to understand the context of the church, the ecclesia, and even the context for my own life. Here's what he highlighted, that there are essentially two halves of a journey represented in the Bible. There's an old and a new, but within the old, there are five key major events, and within the new, there are also five key major events that mirror each other. Let me just walk through those for just a moment. This narrative starts in the book of Genesis, and it continues all the way through to the book of Revelation. But the first key major event in the Old Testament is God and righteous mankind in paradise. So God and righteous mankind in paradise we find in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. It's the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There at creation, created something good. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. Until we get to this next major event that we find in the chapters 3 to 5, and that is that Satan and sin enter the world. And everything got broken. It's an unfortunate ripple that has affected all of us for generations. What was good was lost. Access to God was lost. And it leads to the next major event, which was, it, which was world. The world is judged and destroyed. We find that in Genesis chapter 6 to Genesis chapter 9. The world is judged and destroyed by flood. This is where we find the story of Noah. And all of humanity dies except those who are on the, on the ark. And it's a, it's a rough time in our human history. But it leads us to the, the next major event, which is one world government. We find this in Genesis chapter 10 to Genesis 11. After following some bad examples and building our own kingdoms, actually building a tower known as the Tower of Babel, God scatters and confuses humanity. And that takes us all the way up to Genesis chapter 11 and this moment of, of key understanding. Because these first 11 chapters of the Bible are essential for understanding the rest. Without these first 11 chapters, the rest seems kind of odd. In fact, the Old Testament continues with a focus on the 12 tribes, Israel, really God's holy people. And we find that from Genesis 12 all the way through the book of Malachi, the end of the Old Testament. And this is the Old Testament. And some people may want to downplay its significance, but 
even though this was the initial contract and the new contract is in the New Testament, everything about this journey highlights, focuses, helps us understand Jesus and the New Testament. It is relevant. It is timely. It's essential to understanding who we are. In fact, it is one of three parts in the digging, planting, and filling reality. The Old Testament is essential. In fact, what the Old Testament does is it points towards Jesus. It points to his coming. It points to him as the turning point of all human history. He is Messiah. He is Redeemer. He lived and died conquering sin and death so that we can have life. It is an incredible, wonderful thing with all the prophecies that point to Jesus. So the Old Testament points to Jesus, but here's the deal. So does the New Testament. The New Testament just simply points back. The Old Testament points forward. Again, keeping in mind that the Bible tells us what was and is and what is to come. When we start getting into the story of Jesus in the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it tells us the story of Jesus' life on earth and the establishment of the new contract. Powerful realities for us. But then we find this very interesting reality of five major events in the New Testament that mirror the five major events in the Old Testament. Starting with the 12 disciples and the church. We can read about this in the book of Acts, all the way to the book of Jude. This is the establishment of the church. It's the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's that upper room moment, and there's so much good information in here about the church. We're going to continue to lean in and understand those realities in the rest of our series. But what we bump into next is the book of Revelation, which is often hard to understand for people, maybe even uncomfortable. It has a lot of unique imagery but it's actually pretty straightforward and it's significant. Because what we find in the first five books of Revelation, this talks about different churches and the dynamics and it helps us understand the times and also understand church today. But then we get to Revelation 6 on into Revelation 19. And this is where we see another mirroring reality of one world government. Out of the one world government, we end up seeing the world is to be judged and destroyed. Only this time, it's not destroyed by a flood. That's, how, that's what happened here. But God said he would never do that again. This time, the world is destroyed by fire. Out of that, we see another major event of Satan and sin exiting. In Revelation chapter 20, we see that. And by the time we get to Revelation 21 and 22, we are left with God and redeemed mankind in paradise. And we have come full circle. All of this journey, connected, overlapping, not, not random, not unintentional, all of it pointing to Jesus. And there it is. And you fit into that. See, I know that's a lot. A lot to take in. I know you're processing and maybe even a little bit messy or hard to read. So let me just show you a cleaned up version of this and let you take it in for just a moment. There's the image of what we're talking about. And it's pretty clear that it shows us what was and is and is to come. And without the first part of the journey, the second part doesn't make any sense. It's like digging holes and filling them without planting a tree. But we lost access to God, but God restored access to, to him because he loves us. And he always finishes what he starts. He does nothing random. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And we are to be part of that plan. And as you're looking at this image and as you're 
Taking all of this in, you may be wondering, where are we now? Where are we in the timeline? What's not yet done? Well, let me answer that question. Where are we in this diagram? We're right here. We are in the time of the church. And the next major event is one world order, one world government, which at one point may have felt kind of crazy, but may now seem obvious or inevitable. Yet here's the thing. You exist. We exist in the time of the church, and we are to be the church. When, when John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In John chapter 1, it says that those who believe and receive, those who received and believed in Jesus, they were given the right to become children of God. This is the establishment of a community, a people called out, a people who are sent, the church. And we're to be part of that church. This is what you're invited into. And unless, unless you're going to reject Jesus and refuse to follow him, you are to be the church. You are part of a called out, sent people who are empowered to live for him in the rest of this journey. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, we find some key information. And starting in verse 7, you have a Bible you can track with me, but Acts chapter 1 verse 7 says this, Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the time or date, the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Now there, there is some vagueness, there is some things not yet revealed, even when Jesus is going to come back is not revealed yet. So the times and dates can still be vague, but there is a very clear calling to who we're supposed to be. Verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That, my friends, is clarity for why the church exists. Back then and now. It's clarity for the ecclesia, that, that we're provided power to bear witness to him, what he's done, what he is doing, and what he's getting ready to do. And I've got to tell you, there is so much more, a lot more here in the scriptures, but what we just talked about gives a snapshot, some handholds to, to know where we are in the journey, to understand the big picture of how the church, the ecclesia, fits in. And it's not about our design or our preference. It's about his design and his preference. It's about his priorities. And again, unless we're intending on rejecting Jesus and not following him, we are to be the church, which is not about a building. It's not a location. It's not a program. It's a called out sent out people, and this is our season. This is our season. It's not about a building. It's about building his kingdom. It's not about a weekend worship. It's about an unending, eternal worship. And it's not just about us. It's for everyone. But I'll tell you, it includes us. We're, we're part of the plan. And our individual purposes, and God's established purpose, the purpose Jesus established for his church, are inextricably linked together. We exist for him, not the other way around. And therefore, that means that being the church is less about what we can get and more about who we can become. It's not about what we get, but about who we can become in relationship to him and even in relationship to others. So I wonder who you're willing to become. I wonder who you're willing to be in him, in his priorities, in his purpose, in his story, you know, I hope this starting conversation is helpful. I know it's a lot of information, but helps us to understand what has preceded us and positions us to understand how we're called to live now in light of what is still yet to come. This is not theory. This is not hypothetical hope. This is deeply rooted in realities and historical facts. Yet it is all for our good and his glory 
now. Yet we get to choose if we're going to engage. But I'll tell you this, what Jesus has done and what he is doing is not about providing a way for us to simply escape an evil world when we die. It is about his kingdom now. Life now. Hope now. Power and purpose now as called out ones. This ecclesia, the church, is a collective of individuals with a corporate, eternal dynamic that is seeking to change a global paradigm. And that's huge. And you, my friends, the Bible says you are the church, the ecclesia, called out by someone for someone. And it's important to know by who and for what. And that's what we're going to be doing in the rest of our conversation in this ecclesia journey. Over the next two weeks, we're going to specifically look at the church then and the church now and how where the church has been and informs and shapes and impacts what it is now and where it's even going next. So as we press into what God has in store for us, we do so as part of the ecclesia, profoundly connected to what has been in the past, what has come before us, but yet reaching forward to what is still yet to come. And I, again, I am grateful for my friend's ability to lay out an overview of Scripture like we just walked through today, but I hope it helps you to open up your heart and your mind to the truth of what God wants to say to you about who you are, that you're willing to go deeper in your journey with Him. In fact, I want to end our time today with just creating a space to let Him speak to you. God has spoken. He is speaking. He still wants to speak in the future, but we need to make ourselves available to that. So as we prepare to walk more into this journey, I want to create a moment now a space for you to invite him to speak to you in light of his grand story and the purpose and the plan he has for you in his son, Jesus Christ. If you need to do business with him about Jesus, now would be the time. Make a profession of faith, put your trust in him, seek some forgiveness for the things that you have not quite done in your life, the sin of your life. But this is a time to position ourselves before him and let him speak. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, it's in the name of Jesus we come before you. I thank you for your love that's expressed in him, but also the ability to live a resurrected, empowered, hope-filled life with great purpose. Lord, may we be a people who, who not only dig and fill, but allow you to plant deeply into us. May we be the church that allows you, that you're able to work through and never have to work in spite of, individually and corporately. And in these next few moments, I pray as my friends process all of this information, you would speak and direct their steps, and we would each all hear from you. We love you. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.
I'm so grateful for these reminders that God is always at work. That yes, he was at work yesterday, that he is working even now and inviting us into what he is doing, and that he's going ahead of us at work in the things of tomorrow. I have 
It's no doubt that there's much for us to celebrate in these days as we think of what it means to be part of the story God is telling right here in our own lives, in these cities, and beyond. And the reality is that's the invitation for each of us, to step into that story that God is telling, to know that we're playing a meaningful role with Him. I'm so grateful for that invitation of His. It gives us a lot to celebrate. In fact, as a local church, we're celebrating the way God is moving in and through us in these days in so many ways, like opportunities for us to have meaningful connection with others in group conversations. In fact, we just launched Grief Share and Divorce Care on Monday nights at our Bridgepoint location, and there's still opportunity for you to be part of those conversations, journeying with others in a walk toward healing and wholeness out of those spaces of divorce and grief. We also are celebrating our return to in-person gatherings. And if you're ready to join us in those spaces, we invite you at nine o'clock on Sunday mornings at our Rock Island campus or 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings at our Bentendorf campus. These are great opportunities to interact in person with others again on a similar journey with us. Another thing we're celebrating is this week marks the fourth anniversary of our Legal Assistance Center at the Esperanza Center. It is an opportunity for us to journey with people as they navigate the challenging waters of legal immigration and moving towards citizenship. So far, we've been able to serve people from 59 different countries as they have made that journey. We're so excited about what God is going to do in the days ahead through ELAC. And if you or somebody you know could use the services provided by ELAC, we encourage you to connect with us using the information on the screen now. You can find opportunities for in-person or virtual conversations as you walk that journey. All of this and so many other things that we get to be a part of, like serving through food pantries, encouraging frontline workers, and being part of the story God is telling in so many lives are possible because of your radical generosity, your faithfulness and giving. Thank you for the way that you have been giving, allowing us to pursue these things together. If you want to know more about how you can be part of all of that, including living in radical generosity with us, we encourage you to go to heritageqc.com or download the Church Center app and choose Heritage Church. In all of this, we know the best is yet to come, and we're excited to chase after Jesus now and next, and we hope you'll join us on that journey. We'll see you soon. Fire fall down 
Fall down. 